also edging out to correct me I'm wrong, but this is the actually finally the double deuce episode. This is the double deuce episode. The double deuce. So we're dropping two deuces tonight. Welcome everybody who's on IRC and people who are listening to the stream who are too cool to hang out with. It is t- time for another episode of the Development Hell podcast, episode number 22. Uh, today we have for our change of pace someone who doesn't use a tool that we use every single day. Um, our special guest today is Jim Gay. Say hi to everybody, Jim. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. You're already a natural for podcasts. I can it's perfect. So, uh, so yes, before we get into it, oh no, we don't actually, we don't actually have a sponsor, but we talked about that before. We're going to skip over that for fear of offending people. Cause you know, I got in trouble for offending somebody on Twitter earlier this week and no, we're not going to talk about that on the podcast either. Um, we'll do that for uh, dev hell after dark. Once we That's finish recording. Yes. Let's call it, that's called a pain point for those who are into product development. <laughs> uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more. So, um, so Ed, how you been? How was the greatest conference ever? It was pretty good. Um, Jim doesn't know this, but that's my code name for um, Brooklyn Beta. So Brooklyn Beta was really good. Uh, it, didn't, it was not too self-congratulatory, which was nice. Um, and even my cynical self uh, was able to tolerate much of it. Uh, there were a lot of really good talks. Um, uh, I real, I think my favorite one was probably the dude from Pinboard, whose name is Polish and I cannot pronounce it. I believe he's uh, something uh, in my brain tweaks and says that he's Canadian as well, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think he was born in Poland, but emigrated to either Canada or the U.S. And when he was pretty young, so. Um, he is he's he's on Twitter just at pinboard right and yep. he is really good and I also I like him because he's really cynical and constantly makes fun of startup culture and that's awesome. Um, so it was it was nice. He actually had a you know I guess they were kind of focused on like different I guess non traditional sort of I guess you might say startup models or stories really about running you know doing business like starting your businesses starting projects doing you know creative things of that nature and i liked it because it like everybody was talking about stuff that wasn't sort of necessarily normal um sort of like how do you get a vc to give you money and stuff like that they really even the ones that did talk about you know venture capital stuff i think talked about it on a way that was more like you know, equals and not, you know, just going and begging a bunch of people for money. Um, so I, I thought it was really good. Um, it seemed a little more design focused. Like there wasn't as much like developer stuff this year. Um, I guess maybe part of that. Yeah, I don't know. It just is, you know, so I hope that we'll get a little more developer stuff next time around. Um, but uh, all in all, it was real good. And uh, how old is this conference? This is well, this was the third year. Okay. And so uh that uh all went pretty well. Like I mean tons of people were there. It was good. I mean as many people as could get tickets, which was like I don't think we had 300 something. And uh was there anything else that's Oh, like the dude who's the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, Joel seems like he has the biggest man crush on that guy. There's ever. there's a lot of dudes who have a man crush on him. Now I have a man crush on the pinboard guy. Like, I was going to run up and kiss him like Morgana. (laughs) 
if, if anybody from the 80s who watched baseball during that period remembers her. Um, but, uh, no, uh, I think is his name Booker, that dude from New Jersey? Uh, Mayor Newark. Yeah, something like that, but... Uh... Uh, this is unimportant. Look at that. Corey Booker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, real smart guy. Seems like a pretty cool dude. Uh, he is, uh, you know, he's a politician, uh, but uh, didn't seem like a complete jerk. And is this some kind of up-and-comer or something? I don't know what that means, right? Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, it, there was a lot of good, there were a lot of good stories there. A lot of good things to hear from. Um, I uh, wrote about uh, some stuff. Uh, I really like Ben Piritz. Uh I hope I'm saying his name correctly because they'll probably be mad at me now. But um, he was one of the guys who founded Supply. If like, but it's like spelled S V P P L Y. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yep. And uh, he talked about successes and and also was really open about like I guess he would. I think it's okay to say them failures that he had and and mistakes that he made and that it was really. Um, enlightening. I think that stuff like postmortems, especially that cover stuff that didn't go well, is really, really enlightening and useful. And this was it was really interesting, and I appreciated that a lot. So it was it was good, right? Um, they only said uh, a, a couple dozen times that every all the smartest people from the internet are here, or things like the entire internet is here, which I. When people say stuff like that, that sort of bothers me. But um, other than that, uh, it was good. It was a good conference. Do, do you feel the desire to argue that the entire internet is not actually there? I think that is a little bit like thinking that all your friends use like Tweetbot, so that must mean everybody must use Tweetbot to use uh. to get on Twitter. It's a it. It, you think that they're the smartest people because they're the only people you know, and that's like <laughs> your that's like your social group that you interact with on the internet. So of course they seem like like everybody must be like them, but um, actually it's really not like that at all. I think. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like well, if you only hang out with like conservatives, you will think that everybody must support conservative political candidates or liberal candidates or whatever, right? You know, you ha- your friends all probably kind of mostly agree on the same things because people who think the same things tend to congregate together. And then you're just like, how is it possible that anybody would think something else? Well, you know, right. Um, so I and I just don't like like. Everybody like people sitting around and praising themselves, <laughs> um, but they actually uh, d- I think it, they did a good job of saying like uh, of, of talking a lot about like then we need to do cooler stuff and things like that that way we have a lot of smart people here but we can do a lot more with this and it, so it was not entirely self-serving congratulatory so what i've learned here is that the uh brooklyn beta is not actually the best conference in the world i don't think it's the best conference <laughs> in the world no but i think it's a good conference um uh if if uh you are into uh design and potentially doing like business stuff and things like that or running companies but there are two things one more uh design and dev oriented like as a whole and um also um like maybe not 
entirely having your 100% of your focus be making money. Like, um, it would be a cool place where you'd meet a lot of similarly minded people and get inspired and stuff like that. So, I mean, I came home and I, I wrote a blog post and I've got like two others I want to write about. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good sign, right? When you come home and you're sort of inspired that way. It's yeah, it sounds good. I had not heard of it before. Chris had mentioned it uh, when he asked me to come on the show. And I all of a sudden, as, as soon as I had heard of it, I started seeing people talking about it. Like, it's kind of like when you're, um, you know, looking to buy a house, all of a sudden you see signs everywhere of homes being sold. Yeah, yeah. or like you, you buy a car and then suddenly everybody has your car. <laughs> exactly. Right? You don't think about it before. Like, oh, I, like when I bought a Volkswagen, suddenly I noticed all these Volkswagens around me. Right. So, so we have spent about 10 minutes talking about stupid stuff that wasn't on our list of stuff to talk about. But anyway, Brooklyn Beta was good. So, Chris, how is the planning for True North PHP going? Um, I'm almost in complete panic mode, but uh, yeah, that's and we're like, I don't know, what day is it today? Wednesday. Wednesday the 17th, so we're just a little bit more than two weeks away from the conference. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling better. It looks like, it looks like uh, I'm not going to have to be selling one of my kids into white slavery to cover cost overruns, so that's a good thing. Did you really have to say white slavery? Isn't just slavery slavery? No, but white slavery has like a more cachet to it, doesn't it? Well, it's kind of, yeah, I guess, but it's like there's slavery, but then there's white slavery. It's like somebody was kidnapped but a white girl was kidnapped. Well, then that would be all over CNN, right? That's what I'm saying, yes. And my kids are blonde-haired, blue-eyed, too, so that would well, be Well, like they will get news co- coverage. Coverage for months. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, True North is going uh, fine, and people are basically, who have run conferences before, are telling me not to panic. That, that you usually get a rush of ticket sales, especially for one that is not fortunate enough to have a lottery because so many fucking people want to come to your conference. Yeah. But uh, um, you have a lot of sales up until the moment people step into there, then you'll get a rush at the end. I think the latest estimates that I saw from the, uh, the spreadsheet that my partner is using to keep track of everything shows that we're almost at the break-even point. So oh, that's you'll be fine. That's good. You will totally be fine. Be fine. It will be awesome. And I'm giving a keynote, and I have at the the closing keynote, and I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. I'm sure I'll find something sufficiently. Are you? Maybe a, I'll talk about the practices of how to how to and how to not accept uh, speakers for conferences. <laughs> Are you at the uh, like the clown wig threshold yet? Uh, no, we're getting there. When we get to that hundredth ticket sold, I've promised to wear a clown wig when I do the uh, closing keynote. That's going to be awesome yeah, for the entire thing. Well, I don't know. No, the entire the, thing will make me sweat like a pig. But for the well, keynote, <laughs> yeah, no, maybe, I think it's part of the uh, the excitement. I would guess. Maybe somebody sends me the wig. If I can get such things in Canada across the border, we'll have to are see. you allowed to do? Like they don't have they don't have clowns in Canada. Well, they do, but they're polite clowns. They're not scary. <laughs> yeah, the clowns here are scary. I'm going to make a balloon animal for you, and I hope that I don't upset you while I'm doing it. That's pretty much standard pattern from Canadian clowns. Is there a thing, like Canadian clowns, are they primarily sort of like tramps um, or what? <laughs> Let's move on to another topic other okay. than you wearing a clown wig. All right. So I was going to say, <laughs> um, like right after True North, which everybody's going to go up and, and uh, attend up there, 
wherever that is. What? Are you, where do you live? Toronto? Whatever. You're... I live outside Toronto. I live in one of the. Um, I'm in one of the towns that's like about as far west as you can be in and still be considered part of the Greater Toronto area. Right, but that's, anyway, that's it, the conference yeah. for those who are listening who are in the Toronto area who who haven't bought tickets and I have no idea why you haven't bought tickets yet. But if you're going to come up, it's basically 250 bucks for two days of. Uh, some awesome PHP and related technologies talk. I'm totally impressed at the speakers we managed to land for this. Um, there are some people that I know and some people that I don't know, and um, that I, I don't think I've ever seen a uh, like a, a program that is so different. We didn't we didn't double down on anything in particular. Just people are talking about all. It's going to be held at Microsoft Canada's headquarters, which are just a little bit west of the airport. Mm-hmm. I heard you got a girl to talk we did um lb danker from etsy is going to be speaking about um how to foster devops culture mm-hmm. and test and testing so that should be kind of interesting yeah she's super smart and has, is a good speaker so that's going to be awesome she has i had the i had the fun of experience of going to her talk at um tech and when she saw me sitting in the audience she like called me out and said she was like in panic mode now because i was there watching well, I, did, did she actually know you at the time, or was she just like, I'm panicked because of this guy? <laughs> well, because of the way I was creepy. Because the way I was you creepily her staring at her from yeah, uh, creepily right. sitting in the front row. No, I was all the way at the back, and she knew who I was. I'd met her before. Right, okay. Uh, whatever you say. Um, so, uh, like, what, a week after that, then uh, Code Connects is in uh, Indian. Code America. Connects! X, 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 that's two N's and two X's. Um, I guess it's two N's, obviously, because connect is two, isn't it? But, um, yeah, so I'm going to speak in there, um, and I helped out a little bit, like we sort of did up their website a little bit that, uh, makes it look, I think the splash page is a little nicer now. So, um, yeah, you should go to codeconnects.com, and, like, uh, I think it's going to be a really good conference. Tell people where it is, Ed. Uh, it'll be in Indianapolis, November, I think it's 8th and 9th. Is it the Thursday and Friday? Wait, That's hang on. My, my screen saver just kicked in. Now I can't look up anything. Oh, well. So somebody else will have to look it up. So it's November 8th and 9th. And it's kind of cool because it's going to be about like half of it's uh, like one day is going to be sort of tech, like focus on technology development stuff and things like that. And there's going to cover a wide variety of topics, but things like, uh, some MySQL stuff, some, uh, doing stuff with like, uh, HTTP APIs, um, uh, engineering stuff, uh, things like that. Um, and then the next day is going to be kind of more focused on people and I guess what you might call life skills. Uh, soft skills. Yeah, soft skills. This is awesome. My screen has like totally gone black, and I, I it's like I have a mouse pointer, but I can't actually, uh, I can't actually like unlock anything. So hopefully, maybe I'll just wait for my screen to go to sleep, and we'll see what happens. Anyway, um, then I. Uh, Sorry, I got distracted by this. So it'll be soft skills. And, and uh, so they're going to talk about some of that's like managing people, um, getting into open source projects and how to contribute to them, uh, doing kind of you know, some career building stuff. Um, and it's going to be in a really cool venue in downtown Indianapolis. And there's going to be stuff like what duck pin bowling, I think Liz talked about. Yep. And it's near enough that there's a lot of stuff in downtown Indy to do. 
Uh, so it should be a l- really cool, and it's inexpensive. It's only like uh, I think they're split. I think it's man, am I getting this right? I think it's only like a hundred dollars for both. Yeah, days. like ninety nine bucks. Yeah, so super cheap. That's uh, a hell of a good deal. That's a hell of a good deal. So I met uh, I met Susan Bond at uh, Rocky Mountain Mo- Ruby. She's she's great, and uh, I loved her uh, presentation too. So that she's uh, I'd love to see her. Right. So you should totally go. I should. Yeah, so um, definitely uh, definitely spread the word about that, and I encourage everybody who's listening, please check it out. And uh, I really kind of, because it's only an hour away from where I live, I really kind of want to support stuff in my backyard. There, aren't, there haven't been a ton of like open source events around here, so I'm really, would, it would help me out, um, just like it would help us out if you, if you check out True North PHP if you're around there. Um, if you check out Code Connects and, and really consider going, that would be awesome. So, yeah, or even if you can't go, just talk to people about it. Spread the word. That'd be great. So uh, I don't have my list in front of me anymore for other crap. We were gonna All right. So the next reason is we should talk about is why Jim's on the podcast. So oh, yeah. um, Jim and I are in the same uh, super awesome product development course, the, the uh, aptly correctly named 30 by 500 being run by the super fantastic Amy Hoy. Oh, yeah. um, I know I have talked about it ad nauseum on Twitter. And to my friends, and to people who don't like me either, and uh, uh, basically, it's it, it's a it's a product development course. Amy is sharing um, sharing with uh, students who sign up her strategies for how to actually build something that people will want to to pay you for. And so, um, were you in the summer class, Jim, or just the winter class? Uh. I think I was in summer 2011. Right. Um, I honestly don't remember. Um, each time a new course, you know, starts up, I, I sign up for it um, just to kind of keep myself rolling through the lessons. Um, and that was one of the things that convinced me to spend the money on it. Um, I like I got into it because I had this idea already. I already had working code and a couple of customers and really all I needed was marketing, right? I had to figure out how can I get more customers in there? Um, and so I reached out to Eric Davis, who's another Ruby developer who had worked on, um, done a lot of work for Redmine, which is like a project management, uh, application. And then he, yes, I've shaken my fist at it a number of times. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's made chili project, which is a fork of that. And, uh, I guess it goes in a totally different direction. I don't know either of them very well. Anyway, so he took the course and I sort of knew him because I, uh, I'm the lead developer on radiant CMS, which is a rails based CMS. And, uh, we kind of had shared some desire to collaborate. And, uh, so I, I asked him, what's the story? What do you think about this 30 by 500 thing? Cause I knew he had taken an earlier version of it. Um, and he said it was great. And, um, that, the thing that won me over, he said, once you take it, you get to take it again as many times as you need. And so I thought, okay, uh, I'll invest the money. You know, I should be able to make this back. And if it, you know, if I need more time or I need to go through the course again, I'll take the course again. Um, and then of course I get into the course and figure out that the first thing I need to do is toss my existing project because I didn't build it on a proper foundation. So. Jesus Christ, who the hell calls me this late? What's going on over there? You're ruining this whole story with that shit. I was, I was interesting, too. I know, it was interesting. Of course, the phone is all the way behind my TV, behind my monitor. 
What are you doing? I'm not doing anything, man. Don't fucking shit all over me, man. All right. I can tell he's tense, so I'm going to have to lay off. He's a teepee. He's a wigwam. He's a teepee. Are you done with... Are you done with the phone stuff now so he can continue? It's not me. Someone called and I couldn't reach the phone to shut the damn ringer off. Is it off now? Well, my wife answered the call. Can we have a podcast? (sighs) Yes, Edward, we can have a podcast. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Jim. I'm an asshole. Please continue. How dare you? What's most awkward about it is that I was done. And so now everyone's like, all right, where were you? I know. I was done. <laughs> okay, so to, to recap, basically one of the things, too, that Jim talked about that is awesome about the course is that once you sign up for it, and it's a pretty significant um, chunk of money that you're laying down to be in the course, uh, you're in it for life. Because it is a lot of work, and people sign up with really super good intentions that they're going to go through all the coursework and get everything done. But sometimes they can't. Real life um, intervenes. Or they're just big slackers and they can't get can't get motivated to do it. So every time Amy offers it again, you are automatically welcome to join back in. So I kind of did the same thing. I tried to do too much this summer. The course plus all the simulation baseball stuff I do plus playing slow pitch. Um, I didn't have enough time. So I've gotten about, I would say, about two-thirds of the way through the course. And so now that I'm working on my new book, which I will plug in another podcast... Um, now in that I'm working on that while at the same time keeping an eye on what's going on in the winter course and when we get back to the same point where I left off uh, with the summer material I will jump back into it but I am kind of working through them but at a much slower pace and Amy is also very open about that she's like you work through the stuff at whatever pace that you want the group is here to support you so yes it's very uh, kumbaya <laughs> It's not that it's kumbaya. It's just like everyone. It's just the idea that that kind of everybody's there because they want to be there. So there's not a lot of bullshit going on. There's not a lot of dismissal of ideas. Not a lot of stuff. Just people like, yeah, we're in this because we want to do something, and uh, and people are are super supportive of each other. Critiquing like Jim helped me um, critique the kind of pitch page that I created for the new book, and that advice was uh, extremely handy and welcome. Thank you, Jim. Um, yeah, Welcome. And uh, so, yeah, it was kind of cool just to see people um, shedding their preconceived notions about how to actually build something that somebody wants. Uh, and, and to me, there's nothing more fun than watching Amy absolutely school somebody on the mailing list when they start talking about some shit that they clearly have no idea what they're talking about, but think that they do. And Amy just gets out the knife and starts slicing and dicing. And it's, but it's, I, it's, it's, she does it in a way that's helpful. You know, it's, um, and, and I love that about the course too. You know, I love when people like you get to a certain point and you say, here's my pitch. And you, what you try to do is draw your audience in, right? You try to explain to them like how you understand what problems they're going through and show them that, you know, a way through it and you can solve it with whatever product that you're building. Right. And people will say, well, here's my pitch. Tell me what you think. And I both love to do it and I love to get it where someone looks at it like, this is total bullshit. You know, I don't believe this, you know, you say this, but I, you know, there's no credibility here or you haven't really convinced me. And by the time I get to this point, I've left the site already. And it's at first, I think when people start doing that, they have this fear like, Oh no, I I did it wrong. I spent all this time, but getting that kind of feedback early on before you've ever done anything is crucial to, you know, being effective at at building a product. I I can't imagine, you know, going down the road of like trying to write a book 
only to find out that nobody gives a crap that I wrote a book. Um, you can you can swear on this podcast. It's okay, Jim. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's 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 great. I think, and, and a lot of people are, you know, they like you get to a point where you have to actually put your work in and then start showing it to the world. And in this case, it's just the it's just the tiny little mailing list. So here's what I'm doing, and people are really fearful about doing that. Um, and they kind of have to break out of their shells and just accept the fact that they're going to get honest criticism where someone's going to point out problems to them that they can fix. And then you just go and fix them. So it's, I love it. I mean, I, that my favorite part is when I see people go into pitches or when I start working on pitches, because if you can, um, eloquently describe somebody's problem, then you can probably figure out a way to solve it. And and uh, we'll just spend a little bit more time on it because I know Ed's probably falling asleep while we talk about how how uh, entrepreneurial we uh, yeah. are becoming. Um, it, it, like I said, it, it, you do get really honest feedback, and it's just it's kind of interesting because um, I noticed that that there's only been a few public pitches made, like but people actually sharing their pitch uh, on the mailing list. Um, yeah. of, some, of something beyond just the something just beyond the practice one. So for me, when I was creating the pitch for the new book, I did the page up and I'm like, okay, because instead of being fearful, I was like, okay, I know that I have a group of people who are going to look at this and they're going to point out the stuff that doesn't work. And I know that I can get some quick turnaround and get this thing out there. And yeah. I also know that I can also tweak it on the fly. If I create the pitch page and I'm not getting the response that I want, I will not sit there and fret about it. I'll be like, okay, I did this. It didn't work. What do you guys think? Where do you guys think I might have gotten wrong? And people offered suggestions and stuff. So, so that's, I think it's good. I highly recommend it. If you can get into the course, Amy, I know this sounds like I'm dropping names, but Amy is very selective about who she lets into this. And I have known Amy for quite a long time. So it was not a big deal. And somehow she let you in. Yeah, and somehow she let me in, despite some horrible things I said to her many, many years ago. Uh, she let me in. Um, I told you about that, didn't I, Ed? I'll have to explain that story to you sometime um, when we're not recording. And, uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, of course. And uh, and so, yeah, if you can get into it, I highly recommend it. I know that Joel Claremont, who's hanging out in the um, hanging out in the IRC channel, he's a, he's a winter student of this. And I thought, after speaking to him and about the type of stuff that he wanted to do, that I thought that this would really help him kind of make the big change from being a consultant and working for other people to um, making stuff for yourself, which is an interesting and awkward segue into the other reason why I wanted to get Jim on. Jim has a book um, that he's in the process of writing um, called Clean Ruby. Um, so, Jim, why don't you talk a bit about the book uh, and... Uh, the topic of the book is using something called DCI in conjunction with Ruby and um, just run with it and, and talk to us about why you picked that topic and why you think it's important. Cause I've gotten more into the architecture and the why of building things these days. So I found your topic while not directly related to, to the mess that is PHP that I work with all the time, but I thought uh, there were lessons to be learned for, from, for non Ruby developers. So, so sure. Absolutely. We'll drop know, some knowledge on us. Um, I haven't, uh, experimented with DCI and PHP, but I know there's some code out there where people have tried it. But, uh, so when I was, when I started the course, I was going down the path of trying, uh, one product idea in particular, and I had, you know, gone through a couple, but I started, uh, I don't even remember where I first heard about DCI, um, which stands for data context and interaction. And that means nothing to you until I explain it. But, um, 
uh, I started reading more about it and I got more and more engrossed in the idea and how it could help me solve the problems in my daily work. Uh, you know, I was contracting on a project where we had a, a massive uh, code base that was several years old. It was on its like third iteration of like reworking it. Um, and we had uh, tons of, of classes with complex state machines and we would have these, you know, complicated business rules for how things should operate and whatnot. So I started diving into DCI to try to, I kind of saw the light. I didn't quite understand it, but I would spend all of my time reading about it, writing experimental code around it, trying it out. Um, And it took me a while for it to click before I realized what it was. But anyway, so the background is I have this, this, team of developers and we're all working to get this massive code base working in a way that makes sense. And what DCI does or the way when you program with DCI, it's a, it's a paradigm of, of object oriented programming. Uh, you know, there's no particular way to say that, you know, this is or isn't object oriented programming. A lot of people define it in different ways. And it's funny because I even bring that topic up in my book where I talk about, you know, what exactly is object oriented programming? And, and, um, for every reviewer that wrote to me, they all seem to say like, no, you've got it wrong. This is the accepted definition of object oriented programming. And there would all be a different perspective on it. So, um, I knew I hit the mark when when I argued the point that we don't really, you know, have a very clear definition of what it is. So, Anyway, there's lots of principles of, of doing object-oriented programming, and DCI is the same kind of way. It's not a pattern where you have to have this particular method or function defined, um, but it's a way of organizing your uh, system architecture. So what it is, is uh, if you... I wasn't familiar with use cases. You know, I was more familiar with user stories doing like an agile process where you say, you know, as a user, I log in and whatever it is you do. Um, a use case is a lot more, um, uh, of course I can't think of the word as soon as I want to, uh, explain it. Um, well, this it, is it making covered- me want to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's very well written. Um, <laughs> no, it, 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 a use case covers, you know, a, a main scenario of of how you're going to use the application and it may be high level or it may be low level. So for example, uh, if you're buying, you know, buying a book from a store, that could be an entire use case, but each of the uh, aspects um, that buying a book may involve lower level things and each of those can be a use case. So the canonical example that's used in DCI uh, lately has been uh, money transfer. When you go to your bank and you have to transfer money from one place to another. If you ask somebody, particularly a programmer, you know, how do you do that? Like, well, you have a source account and you have a destination account and you transfer between them. Um, but that's not the mental model of how you do it. Like the, the average person on the street doesn't walk up to an ATM and say, let me find my source account and my destination account. They, they have savings accounts and they have uh, checking accounts. And so these are just plain old dumb objects. Like it's just an account. Um, but when they are interacting with it, when they're in this context of transferring money, um, one account plays the role of a source and the other account plays the uh, role of the destination. They're still just plain old accounts, but they, they 
kind of gain different abilities in that context. And so DCI is a way to say, let's take that um, collaboration of the objects and codify it. So we, we won't just say, well, here's how the thing works, and we pass it, and you know, a, a request comes into a controller, a controller does its thing, and um, calls this object, which calls that object. There's when you do that, at least I'm used to, you know, Rails or Sinatra applications or something like that. Everything's stuck in your controllers. Um, there's no way to look at a particular thing and say this is a business process. Um, it's kind of split out. And, and in the code base that I was working in, we had it all over the place. And we tried our best to um, keep things simple, but we would still find areas where if we had complex business logic, it was, you know, this person, oh, Dane, Dane knows how to do it. Go talk to him because he worked on the code most. And so it was really difficult to, to communicate the purpose of the code to other developers. But DCI says, um, put that, put that, object collaboration in a single place where you define all of the behaviors in that same place. So if you have this one class and it's got, and you know, in Ruby you have classes and you can have modules where you just mix into objects. Um, you define the modules of, of what the roles are. So if your source account needs to be able to do certain things, you define those there in the context. And if your destination account needs to do certain things, you define it there in the context and outside of that context, the accounts don't have any of those abilities because they don't need them. Um, but what it does is when you look at your code, you're able to see, okay, I understand this. All of these things are how the uh, money transfer works. But if you're going to look at some other thing like, um, uh, geez, closing an account, you don't need any of the functions that you would have in your account class. You know, if you did it a typical way, it wouldn't be there because you'd only be looking at that account closing context. Does that make sense? Hmm. That's interesting. It's a very different way of um, of how most developers approach putting things together. Right. It's it's completely different, and it's why it took me a long time to get it right. It seems to take a lot of people time to figure it out, but it's you know the, it's a way to try to reflect the runtime execution of your program in code. So, you know, when this object comes in, it gains these abilities, plays that role, and then exits and it's done with it. That's interesting. What's, uh, where's a good, like, if we wanted to, like, just get a little taste of this, like, is there a tutorial or something we could look at? I mean, beyond just simply buying your book, which, of course, is the right way to learn about this. Of, of course. Um, the best way, really. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, uh, no, there's a, there's a site called full oo.info. Um, uh, that is really the canonical resource for where this information will be. Um, Jim Copeland and Trig Varinskog, uh, are the two main people leading up who have done all the research and actually figured out this paradigm. They're organizing that with a couple of other people who are involved in the DCI community, but, um, if you don't know the name Trigler Reedskog, he is the guy who invented MVC. Uh, right. So, you know, if you, you may actually be using a, a pattern that he created, you might want to take a second look at DCI and think, well, maybe it's uh, maybe it's something else to consider. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So this is something I kind of want to dig into. Um, so 
what are like so so the con so what summarize sort of what the concrete advantages are for that that you find when you're taking this approach so what I found in particular uh, at first what i what sort of convinced me that I needed to use this was um uh, the project that I was on, you know, we were nearing the end and it was, it had contractors on it and contractors started to leave. They were looking for other projects. And I, they, we, I think we originally had seven or eight developers and then it got down to two. It was me and another guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as I got a better understanding of this, I'd get a ticket, you know, this needs to be implemented. And, and, and what I realized I could do is this is a business valuable feature that needs to happen. And if I start just plugging all these different methods into the classes that I need, it's going to be strewn about all over the application for every class of object that needs to have these things. Um, and I have to go and inform the other developer, Hey, here's what I'm, I'm adding to it. I'm adding these other tests and, you know, this may affect, you know, um, how it performs or whatever it may be. But if I have this context object, Mm -hmm. which assigns the behaviors to the objects that are coming in to play these roles when it needs them, then I have this little sandbox. So I was able to test that entire scenario, the the success, uh, the failures, the alternate paths, um, completely isolated from anything else in the application. Mm. You know, I I may have had my dependencies, but I didn't have to go to this other developer and we were in crunch mode. We were trying to just get it done and churn it out and finish off the project. I didn't have to go to him and say, Hey, by the way, let's talk about this class. Cause I've got to add these things. Um, I had, you know, the ability to just an object came in, I, uh, gave it the abilities that it needed and then, you know, garbage collection cleaned it up. Um, so that, that was how I saw the light and I, and I knew I needed to figure this out because, we had, you know, all kinds of problems with code being all over the place uh, in the application. Like, related items were spread out among different classes. But if you put it in a context, all of a sudden, everything you need to understand that business process mm-hmm. is right there. That's interesting. That sounds super, in- that sounds super interesting and super um, useful because I can see how, I mean, that's kind of... The application that you're describing there, Jim, which is a, a big mess of with functionality all over the place, um, really, really benefits from the ability to centralize things that way. So I'm wondering, not to tell you how to write your book, but I'm hoping that in your book, there'll be lots of examples of here's the old uh, busted code and here's the new DCI happy code. Yeah, I, I don't have that in it. I, I talk a bit about like some of the things that we do. Um, uh, but I haven't done like a direct comparison of like, here's how I could write it this way. And here's how it would look another way. Um, a few people have, have mentioned that that would be good. And so I might add like an appendix to it, but what I, when I first started writing the book, I'd never written a book before. So I just, at that point, it's just kind of like a brain dump, just get stuff, you know, down. And, uh, uh, what I realized was as I was studying this, I didn't know anything about use cases early on. So I had to start studying use cases. Um, and they're great because they cover a lot more than a user story. Um, and it, uh, everything that I was reading about, I just kind of brushed aside the fact that it talks about, uh, implementing the end user's mental model. And that's, that's mentioned all over, all over the place. And I, I realized you know, I have this idea of what I think that means, but why don't I go look it up? And um, 
there's books about mental models and uh, a lot of interesting information. So when I first released the beta months ago, um, I, at the last minute realized I needed to write a chapter on mental models. Um, and the basic premise of that first chapter is the first bugs that we find in our programs aren't because there's a typo somewhere. It's because we've misunderstood something about the way it works. Either the developer didn't understand it or the person who told it to you, you know, how it was supposed to work. Didn't, you know, didn't understand it. Uh, because just as human beings, we have functional, but incomplete mental models. So if I, you know, if I was going to make a Twitter clone, I could say to you, Hey, I want an application that where I can just post my status and everybody can see it. Like, all right. You know, so you can go implement that really quickly. And then you realize, well, wait a minute. I, I also need to be able to follow people and I don't want to see the statuses of people I'm not following. Um, so the initial thing that I told you is a functional, but incomplete mental model of the system. And, and as you dive into exploring the use case, you kind of discover the edges of what the system ought to do. Um, and DCI helps you do that because you, you have this context and this is the success path. This is an alternate path. This is a failure path. And it's all right there in one place. Would you say that DCI is more useful for existing apps or better suited to like a greenfield, uh, project? Um, I, it's, uh, the, the way I've read, uh, Trigva Rienskog, the, the, describe it is that anytime you have two or more objects collaborating DCI is a candidate for the design. Mm. So whether or not it's legacy or it's greenfield, um, really doesn't matter. I mean, I've used it in legacy apps in order to isolate myself from other stuff. Um, but even in a greenfield app, I would prefer to start with this paradigm because, um, I can, one of the other benefits and, uh, Alistair Coburn has a book called, um, writing effective use cases. And he talks about how you can have these high level and low level use cases and anywhere in between, um, where, you know, before I was talking about account transfers, right. And, uh, the business owner really only cares that you have an account and the customer can move money from one to the other, or the customer only cares about that. But if you're implementing these accounts, you don't just have a database with uh, values of how much money is in there and you add and subtract from it. The account is actually a context of these transaction logs of uh, where they're interacting and, and it's a full calculation. So each time you go to get your account balance, it calculates all of your transactions to figure it out. It's so it's multiple objects collaborating to figure out how much money it's, it represents. Um, so DCI says, look, we can do this high level overview. Um, but each object inside its composition may be that it is another context of, inter of interacting objects. This is heavy. It is, very, it is very heavy, but it's very <laughs> interesting, but it's extremely interesting. I mean, to me, anyway, I don't know, maybe the people in IRC have gone to sleep under the barrage of links that you just sent them, but That's true. Um, uh, I, I just find for myself as um, working at the place that I work now with a humongous amount of existing um, code and uh, ridiculous numbers of components around that need to talk to each other, um, the idea of something like DCI um, becomes very appealing. It becomes a way to kind of make sense of a, uh, 
making sense of of some potentially complex interactions between objects in your system and trying to and trying to guide you down a path to build things to make um, to make writing code that will fulfill these objectives as easy as possible. I mean, this uh, I, I'm, I'd never really heard of DCI before I saw Jim's book, and I have just taken the most cursory of glances at any documentation about it online. Um, and it, it sounds to me like, yeah, I can definitely see that this is that it's a good tool to a good tool for developers to use, and it's also more, most importantly a, a great tool to drive design. Kind of in the same way that I'm trying to get people to understand that test-driven development is more than just writing the tests. It's um, it's a way of, of driving the design of the application that you're working on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there's within DCI, there's the argument that uh, you should be able to understand your code, right? You should be able to read it and know what's going on. But typically when we, when we think about classes and uh, there's also this argument that what we typically do is class-oriented programming. We don't do object-oriented programming. Um, DCI gets us closer to object-oriented programming because we care about the roles that an object plays. Um, but when you're when you're thinking about classes, you kind of turn them into this grab bag of functionality that at any point in the system, this function can be used or that function can be used. But there's no clear... Um, indication to use the developer or any other developers coming onto your team that you've got to teach them, you know, this is when this function is used or that's when that function is used. It's interesting that it seems like certain languages are going to have trouble doing DCI. Like there's certain, like ones that where your objects can be, or your class or whatever it, where it's easier to apply things from other places like like php just got traits in 5.4 and it seems like traits would be one way to do it where it would be a lot it's a lot harder to do it if you don't have something like that or in languages where you can do object composition or where you know like javascript or ruby it seems like those would be easier to do dci because you're defining these contexts that they execute in separately if i if i'm understanding it and then you sort of apply that the object you know when it enters that context now takes on that functionality exactly so yeah yeah. i'm curious i didn't realize traits were in uh php um i don't i haven't looked at any of the php samples uh, full oo dot info might might have that uh it's okay most 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 php developers don't look at those examples either yeah right Right. well i mean i actually i i found a a link to one from the wikipedia article on it uh for uh for php and it is not using traits because traits are really a new thing right um but so they are doing using interfaces and things of that nature uh, to do it, but it's you know reading up on the Wikipedia stuff, it talks about on the on that Wikipedia article, it talks about the uh, issues that one would have with it, and it for example, I think it says, let me see here. Uh, well, of course, I'm quoting just what some sucker wrote on the internet, right? What does that mean? But uh, it says like in Java, precompiler tricks based on annotations are needed to support DCI. You know, um, so it seems like it it it's going to be easier to do in like I said, in, in, uh, 
in languages that support some kind of composition or mixins, you know, out of the box or, or, you know, PHP can get sort of close to that with traits or other languages like that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, Jim Copeland mix has made the argument that Java is the only language that cannot do it. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Uh, I don't know Java, but I know that he he is working very hard to try and get it to happen in Java. Because if you can get the Java world to start doing this, then you know you can get anybody. To yeah, right. Oh snap! Burn. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So yeah, this is this is really cool. So, um, I so can you tell us a little bit about like what the process? And you're still working on the book, is that correct? I am. And so how is that, like, how long have you been working on it? Um, I started, uh, I think, October of last year is when I first maybe started saying I was going to write the book and I gathered people's interest whether or not they were going to uh, bite. And um, so it, I think it was that October or November when I actually started, you know, jotting notes down and, and uh, figuring it out. Um, so I've had, you know, I worked on it for a while. I had some people on um, Twitter, one person in particular bugging me for when I was going to release the book. And it was, it was a weird experience for me because I did not, um, I, you know, I, I had at the time, I don't know, uh, 200 people on my mailing list. And I was right. really happy with that. And, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't really think people were that interested in it. And so to have somebody bothering me on Twitter, Hey, when are you going to release it? I thought, Oh, okay, I'll release it. So I agreed to do it. Uh, by March, I'd release a beta. And luckily I said March and not March 1st because I needed the rest of the month (laughs) to do it. Um, but it, it was, uh, widely acclaimed when I released it and I was shocked. People loved it. People wrote to me and told me it was great. And they were, you know, I've been, um, I've had ups and downs in family life and, you know, unexpected home renovations and things like that, that have kept me from, uh, churning it out. But, uh, yes. um, yeah, those, those are great. But, um, uh, so I, you know, I always, always surprised when people write to me and, and they'll say, uh, they'll ask me, <laughs> I've had people say, Hey, I, can you check my email address? I, I seem to have not gotten the latest update and I have to sheepishly write back and say, Oh, actually you do have it. I just haven't released anything. Uh-huh, right. So, um, I feel bad and, but they'll say, Oh, no, no worries. It's worth the wait. And, uh, so I'm, uh, I mean, that's about the best feedback that you can get when you say that to somebody, but, um, yeah, you know, Jim, I know that every time someone on Twitter, um, says to me that, They've decided to commit to testing their code, um, PHP or otherwise, because of either what I've said online or they've read my book. Um, that's a good feeling. I, I can definitely, uh, I can definitely uh, share that feeling with you. That it's awesome when somebody else just out of the woodwork says to you, "Hey, man, I've read your stuff and it's been super helpful. Thanks so much for writing the book, or thanks so, so much for sharing that blog post with me, or whatever." You'd be surprised at the number of people. Um, who who read the stuff that you do and you have no idea and they're just lurking in the lurking in the shadows slurping up all the awesome knowledge you're giving them mm-hmm. yeah qu- quietly it, you know it's it's interesting too because i when i first released it i was really really fearful of you know people you know buying it and saying oh this is crap and I actually had one person. So every now and then I'll search on Twitter for clean Ruby and see if anybody's mentioning it. Um, and that first weekend 
I saw somebody say that it was shit. And um, so I wrote to him. I said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, it's a beta book. I'm working on it. But what what did you not like about it? And he just said uh, something along the lines of, you know, it's full of big words and I didn't learn anything new or I I don't know what. Well, excuse me, Mr. Big <laughs> you know, I, I, wow. I laugh about it now, but at the time, it took me like three days to get over the fact that somebody had said all my work was shit because I had put so much time and effort and research into it that you kind of like no matter what somebody says, whether or not it holds any weight, you you still when you first hear it that that cuts, you know. Yeah. Um, but but luckily, luckily, you know, everybody else has told me that they've uh, they've really liked it, or there's a silent. Uh, group of people who don't like it and aren't saying anything at all. I know most people are afraid to say anything to me, good or bad. So um, I've had very few people tell me that they, did, that they didn't like my my uh, the grumpy testing book. But you know, I'm sure I've actually some- changed my habits since doing this. Like you know, I used to read people's blogs and I'd think to myself, "Oh, that was useful information." And if I had nothing to say, I wouldn't say it. But now, instead, I'm actually saying, "Thanks for writing that," because. As an author putting something out there, I now realize that like just, just somebody saying, hey, thanks, uh, it just totally makes you feel great. Oh, yeah, totally. Yes. Yes. All right, that's all we got time for. Good night. No, wait, we're not, we're not, quite, at that, not quite at that point yet. Um, so another point that Ed had up here on the list that I'm talking about, speaking at Ruby conferences, and dude, Jim, what is up with all the porn? What is up with all the sexism? What is up with all the misogyny that comes out of the Ruby community? I am really, really curious to hear the perspective from people outside the community. Well, we think I mean, they're all douche tards anyway because they're using Ruby and all they do is is uh, take a big dump on PHP all the time. And, it's true. And, uh, and it is. And I just find it just – it's like – a bigger I've never seen a bigger group of more insensitive people in my life. And I've been around a lot of insensitive people in my time. Oh, really? Um, oh yeah. Um, and I, and I think some of this, uh, maybe, uh, maybe Ed, I don't know. Ed and I have talked about this before. Um, I, at least I think we've talked about it on the podcast about how, um, programming communities, it's a tribal thing yeah. and people and the members of the community t- tend to, uh, take on the personality of the most vocal members of it. So if you have a member of your community who's written a very popular framework who, for all intents and purposes, appears to be a big douche tard, it's no surprise that other members of the tribe seek to emulate them by doing stuff. That others That's- who may, who, others who maybe, uh, there, people are encouraged to do things that they wouldn't do because they're like, well, so-and-so talks this way, so it's cool if I talk that way. Um, so it just it seems like of all the programming communities, the Ruby one is the only one that we ever hear of that at major conferences, people are putting um, pornographic slides up and basically tell people, well, this is the way Ruby is, bro. You better deal with it. And uh, <laughs> so I, I think that um, it's it's really interesting to me to hear that because I uh, one I wasn't at that conference. I think it was Gogoruko maybe two or three years ago or something, which is Golden Gate Ruby conference. Yeah. And um uh, there was there was a big stink inside the Ruby community. It wasn't it, by no means was it an accepted thing. Um, uh, and I think it was the the title of the talk was I don't know how to how to do something like a porn star. You know, but I, yeah. I, I don't remember what it was. Um, and so it made a big stink. And um, the guy who did the presentation I think was kicked off of uh, one of the Rails outreach groups or something like that. Um, I don't really know the details, but um, it, it 
by no means was something that the Ruby community says, hey, this is how we are. In fact, at almost every conference that I've gone to, there's been discussion about how can we make sure we're changing our um, our culture to to be more open to women and um, uh, in particular. And for example, I just uh, did a uh, Rails Girls DC. There's this if you go to railsgirls.com, I think um, it's it started in Helsinki, but it was just like a one day event to teach women. Um, how to program and Ruby and rails and it's sort of spread across the globe. And so uh, one was organized by my friend Liz Steininger in DC, um, which was immensely popular. We did it in September and I was a coach um, and it was a great event. And there were so many applicants that they they're doing another one in November. Um, and uh, so there's, there's a lot of people putting forth an effort in the Ruby community to um, make sure that, it's open to women and, uh, and, you know, a welcoming community. And I, I'm surprised because everything I ever heard before I was like a, a Ruby developer is as I was getting into it, it was, Oh, the Ruby community is great. And, um, I didn't know anybody or I was never really, I did some PHP, but I was never really involved in the PHP community. Um, uh, so I didn't really have anything to compare it to, but, you know, I run um, Arlington Ruby, which is a meetup in Arlington, Virginia, and I'm a co-organizer of uh, uh, DC Rug, which is a Ruby user group in Washington, DC. And um, we're always really welcoming to new people and, uh, you know, people who've never programmed. There's a few people in Arlington Ruby who are quitting their jobs and deciding to become Ruby developers. And they come to the meetups and they get all kinds of help and encouragement from experts in the field. Um, so I'm actually really proud of that. Um, in our area and everywhere else that I've gone, I've met a lot of great people in the Ruby community. So, um, there, there's, there's even a site called rubydramas.com and there's always some, you know, blow up, (laughs) blow up about, something that happened in the Ruby community. So we have this like knowledge of ourselves as being, um, at least we feel like we're being welcoming and friendly. Um, but then we also have these, you know, uh, dramatic events where people argue over, you know, bike shedding type things. But, um, are you familiar with FridayHug.com? No. No. It's weird because it. it seems like, this is a big, it, it's it, so Aaron Patterson is one of the core members of both rails and Ruby. Um, and he for a while started just like taking a picture of himself on Twitter and saying, you know, it's Friday. How about a hug? And so he'd have his arms outstretched and there'd be a picture of him. And it just became this thing. People would hug back and they, you know, mention him in a tweet. And now all of a sudden there's this Friday hug hashtag where people will take pictures of themselves, like hugging the camera. And, um, so that to me speaks more about the Ruby community than, you know, the occasional, you know what? Dramatic. Being nice for one hour of the week doesn't absolve you for being a douche. The 167 <laughs> Friday hug my ass. It's just a PR campaign. Okay, look, I will say say that I do know quite a few people who do Ruby, and there are no douchetards in that immediate circle. It just seems that Ruby, rightly or wrongly, um, has been uh, slapped with the label of being full of a bunch of misogynist pricks. Um, And I'm sure it's one of these cases where it's just a very small vocal minority um, 
that uh, a very small vocal minority that's promoting the idea. And it's like, like I said, it's a, I really think one of these days I may, I, I need to partner up with a, with a psychologist to write a book about tribalism in programming communities. Cause I think it would be interesting to me anyway, to find out more information about tribalism and social groups and all that other stuff. So I could actually pretend that I know what I'm talking about instead of just throwing out random thoughts about it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, I haven't gotten involved in that really any of the discussions. I never really wrote a blog post to say, here's my opinion on this. So I've kind of stayed out of the fray. Um, that's probably for the best yeah. from, <laughs> from my perspective, the community has been always great and welcoming. So, right. Right. Um, and that, you know what, it's really easy for, for people on the outside to kind of have that impression of it. Um, you know, I don't, I, I personally didn't really, you know, have that overall impression of, of the Ruby community or, or the rails community. Uh, but it was kind of brought up because I think somebody, uh, I think actually the pinboard guy kind of made a joke about that because he was saying it, how Brooklyn beta was different than Ruby conferences because there weren't any like, uh, sexy pictures on the presentation. Ouch. This, this is, I mean, this is, I think there are a lot of people in the Ruby community who are, um, you know, like myself, like it's sort of embarrassing that right. I be associated with yeah. this sort of idea, but at the same time, it's good because it's pointing out the problems that need to be overcome. Like, um, you know, in fact, there are, there are, um, um, more conferences that are having their, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, rules of behavior or something like that, making sure that, um, uh, things like that don't happen. Yeah. And, and uh, honestly, for, uh, there's two things. One, I, uh, I think that it's an issue in lots of communities, not just the Ruby community. Uh, secondly, I think that, um, there's some that are wor- like, I, like I, my impression is that like, if you get into the, like the InfoSec community, uh, especially on the black hat side of things, it's really, really bad. Um, there were a couple of good posts about DEF CON, um, about women who had attended and have gotten to a point where they just won't go because of how aggressive they found the culture there. Um, and I've certainly come across uh, some presentations. There was one a couple of weeks ago, and I can't even remember exactly it was just like it was it was some presentation on it was you know a security presentation but it was just filled with like you know uh sexualized stuff and things like that and you know that's fine but it doesn't have it i don't think it has a place there right i don't think it's it's correct in that context and so yeah i don't know to me um i i don't think ruby has a larger problem than any other communities but um it's uh it's certainly an issue and yeah i think joel claremont uh, posted on the irc channel um a good uh thing sort of like a talk about um let's see here uh talks about like what to do about the, the issues with gender balance in the software community and stuff so i'll post that into the into the notes but it looks interesting here i've watched that video and it is awesome is and it I, and uh, one of the the guy who's in there giving the presentation steve klabnik he's um um, big time Ruby guy. I think he's one of the core Rails devs. Um, and he maintains Hackity Hack after Why the Lucky Stiff did his info suicide and disappeared. Yeah. And I speak to him on I speak to him on Twitter once in a while because I kind of admire a lot of stuff that he's doing. Um, it's right. I highly recommend that people should watch that presentation to kind of 
get an idea of what's going on and, and that if you're willing to work at it, um, you, you can improve things for everybody. Yeah, definitely. So I, we did a good job of probably making you super uncomfortable, Jim. And, um, <laughs> so that was, that is not that was probably, usually our intention when we have people on to no, we, we start, just had, uh, start crapping and start teabagging them over their chosen, uh, programming language. Shit just got real for a minute. So we had to, sorry, know, bro. It's not it what we meant. It's yeah. just, it's no. it, it, sorry. It's just business. Yes, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it, I think it's, I mean, I don't know. It's, like a general problem for the tech community. I, I was talking to a woman after the rails girls event, she had gone and um, yeah. I was talking with her and inviting her out to come to Arlington Ruby meetups and DC rug meetups. And um, you know, I talked to several different women. They were all eager to do it. And then I talked to one and she was just like, ah, I don't know. And I asked why, you know, and she had said because of the behavior that she experiences at her day job where it's in a tech uh, community. Oh. And, and so she didn't want to, even though I was there and a, a friend of mine, granted a man was there who was saying, Oh no, it's a great group. You know, everybody's very friendly. She still was very cautious of getting involved. And that really made me sad. I mean, like what can I do to convince her if like she her on a daily basis has to deal with, um, I don't know, misogynistic problems at work. I, right. Uh, that really sucks. And yeah, uh, that just really sucks. So doing what we can, like what we all can to try to fix that uh, and actively addressing that, uh, I think is really important. But I think everybody agrees with that. So I probably didn't need to say that. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well said anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. All right. Now I'm picking on Jim. Let's. Uh, <laughs> you were the one who started picking on him. How dare you suggest that I'm that way, Ed? Yeah. Um, so let's let's see. How are we doing for time, Ed? Y'all talked out. Oh, we could talk. Uh, kind of wrap it up a little bit. Hey, you, you, Jim, you were talking about home renovation. Yes. What is, this, is a, this is per, this is a perfect topic to drive people away because I remember the the guy that got the Funkatron slap when we were talking about his uh, uh, about your fix to the washing machine. So let's talk yeah. about home renovation. Yeah, absolutely. So what what happened with your house, dude? Well, so I, I'm, uh, I have four kids right. and, mm-hmm. uh, we were moving from, you know, we lived in a two bedroom, uh, duplex, uh, with, and we had three and the fourth on the way. <clears throat> and, uh, so we needed to get the heck out of there and, um, we were buying a house uh-huh. and the day that we signed the deed, a matter of hours later, we, you know, we had a rent back. So the, the sellers were still in the home and we, the day we signed the deed mm-hmm. that evening, there was a big storm and it blew our new, our new neighbor's tree down and it smashed our shed and smashed our deck and lightly, thankfully grazed the house. And so that, Oh, that started everything. So, you know, I, I'm in the process of trying to write this book and I think, um, the week before I wrote to all the customers, all the people who bought the book and I said, Hey, I'm going to turn it up. I'm going to be trying to put out releases every week. Um, and, uh, so this happened. And then my wife that night started having labor pains. Oh, geez. Um, and so two days later, my luckily it didn't happen right away, but two days later, my daughter was born. And so I basically went into hiding mode for probably a month. Um, 
and that was just the start of it. So uh, I'm I'm in a new house, and I discovered that they had there were plumbing problems, you know, like calcified pipes, and it ruined a faucet. And we had oh. the plumber come out, and we had to replace all the pipes, and then electrical wiring that's uh, undersized. That there's I don't know if any of you have done uh, electrical stuff. I renovated a, a house prior, and it was going to be the first and the last time. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of fire hazards and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd think, Oh, we just have to fix this one thing and pull a wall down and discover all kinds of problems. And, you know, like every time I turned to do something, um, there was some new problem. Like there was some water damage under our, under our disgusting dishwasher that we got rid of. Um, and then I found out that the water damage went all the way down to the joists. And so we had to pull the countertops off and all the cabinets out and, um, it's just one thing after another. Then we had a mouse. A if mouse. only there was DCI for home renovation. I know, right? It would solve everything. Damn. Just compose a couple of objects and boom, your house is fixed. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I, I actually was thinking, like, as I was going through all this, I was thinking about writing um, a blog post related to um, refactoring. Um, because, you know, my plumber was here and we were moving some things around and we decided, well, we have this extra space here. Let's expand a bathroom. we got to tear walls apart anyway. Um, but he, you know, whenever he was doing something, he would hook things back up, you know, the API and the bathroom still stayed the same. And so we were changing pipes on the other side and he was each night we had to, you know, cut pipes and put it back together so we could keep using, uh, the facilities in the house. So, um, there's some lessons that I'm trying to like tease out of uh, out of my month, just diving into renovating my house. Oh, that sounds awful. I uh, I have no competence with home stuff. Uh, Neither so, do I, Ed. Yeah. Um, so I envy you to some extent, but I would really just I don't know what I would do in that situation. I guess I'd pay a lot of money. Yeah, I mean that's one of the other things I was thinking about is, um, you know, a lesson, I see a lesson here for, um, <clears throat> companies staying involved in either open source or just general development communities, because uh, I did a lot of this work myself because I had to, I, you know, I don't keep tabs on who's a good contractor in the area who can do, you know, plumbing or electrical or a carpentry or cabinets. Like, you have to slow down, find, you know, recommended people, have yep. them come estimate. You got to vet all of them and it takes forever. And if you want to just like, we moved into the house and started finding these problems. I've got four small kids and my wife, you know, she, God bless her. She's, she's very patient. But like, if I said, Oh, well, we got to wait three weeks before we get this estimate back from this company, you know, sorry, but we don't have a working kitchen sink. Um, that's not going to fly. Yeah. Um, right. But likewise, you know, if you're a development company, you should stay involved and get to know developers in the community so that when you need somebody, you can pull them in and, and get going. So you look at that, bringing it back to programming. You exactly. Didn't, you can't see, but I took, I had my hands and I had my, like the, uh, on both my hands, my fingers kind of spread. And then I brought them together. Like, the, <laughs> like the fingers interleaved. Like my story is, worked. Jim is clearly a master of his craft. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but that's a you know that's a good point because I, I, a lot of times people are talk to me and be like, "How do I, you know I'm looking for somebody in this thing?" Is like, "How do you find good people?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I just know people like from yeah. from collaborating and interacting with them uh, in the open source community, and that's how I get to know 
people who are good or have certain talents and areas and things like that. And, and, uh, so, you know, usually if somebody comes to me I can like recommend somebody or find somebody who, uh, can help or would work out because I know that, but if you don't do that, you've got to rely on stupid stuff like going to dice.com or something like that. Like, that's a, that's <laughs> exactly. a nightmare. I mean, it's, it's like, or Elance, if you're really <laughs> on the end. Yeah, you're, I, I absolutely need a Facebook clone for 50 bucks tomorrow. That's, you know, uh, it's my, it's a homework assignment. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so that's, that's like always, I felt like the best way to like, you have, you have to keep in touch with people and keep in, you know, involved in the community. And that's how you sort of get to know, you know, all the, the different, uh, folks who are out there who do good work. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. If you're only looking when, when you need somebody, it's too late. Oh yeah. You're screwed. You're totally screwed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my experience is that almost all the companies who are ever looking for people don't do that at all. Right. So exactly. Um, so yeah, that's, there's that. I don't know. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not good at ending things like conversation, like parts of a conversation. Yeah, you're good right. at interlocking your you're fingers breaking up together, yeah. but not so, but not so good at actually getting it done. Yeah, it does. It doesn't work out then. So yeah, I'm bad at the end. I guess I can't finish. And I guess as a segue, I think we've reached the end. Yeah, Jim, for coming on, this was awesome learning about DCI and also having somebody we could pick on about Ruby. This is good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we it were was fantastic. I felt you you kind of built me up, only to then like turn me into the punching bag. It was it was awesome. Well, I think uh, if you had made Rails, I would use it. Oh, all right. Let's put it all in right. there. You go. So when when he starts doing DCI plugins for Rails that end up in the core of Rails six, then we'll all be a much happier person. <laughs> perfect we'll try yeah we'll see so as always we want to thank all the people who hung out in um irc while we rambled along and uh and offered as always some interesting advice and uh and took checked out the links as they came fast and furious during the presentation yep. presentation oh my god i'm such a fucking moron all right anyway i think we've reached the end because clearly i'm getting punch drunk so as always uh thanks very much for listening everybody this has been episode number 22 the double deuce of development hell. You can find us online at devhell.info. We are on iTunes. We love, love, love for people to come and rate the podcast. Tell us if it's good. Tell us if it's bad. Um, tell us what you want to hear. If you have ideas for guests that you want to have us talk to, we'll see if I can bully them into appearing just like I did for Jim. So you can follow us on Twitter, de- uh, uh, dev underscore hell. You can find me on Twitter as a grumpy programmer, grumpy without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with a U. Um, Jim is on um, Twitter as Saturn Flyer. I always meant to ask you, what the hell is up with that name? But we've run out of time. Maybe another time. I <laughs> it also has a U. Uh, and Saturn with a U, correct. Not the Perfect. Canadian spelling with the O-U. So, uh, so thanks very much, guys. Everybody out there, have a good night, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Good night, Internet. Good night.